Shalom everyone, this is Kalev Bendor. I'm making this recording from beautiful South Africa where I'm intending Limud in Johannesburg, Durban and Cape Town. During my time in Joburg, I was delighted to meet a couple of members of our 929 learning group, which is a lovely reminder about how global our group is. Today's chapter, Malachim Aleph, chapter two. It's a sad one for me personally, not because King David dies, rather because it also sees the death, murder even, of one of my favourite characters in Tanakh, Yov ben Suriya. Our chapter ends on a positive note for Shlomo, that that the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. But as we've been taught, when you play the game of thrones, you win or you die. There's no middle ground. And in order for Shlomo to reach this stage, there are some targeted killings and revenge that first need to happen. But let's start at the chapter's beginning, where the text tells us that David is about to die. He calls his son Shlomo, who was anointed in chapter 1, tells him to walk in God's ways and keep his mitzvot. But he also gives him two warnings. First, about Yoav ben Suriya, his chief of staff. You know what Yoav ben Suriya did to me when he killed Avner ben Ner and Amasa in cold blood, adding, make sure he doesn't die peacefully. David also mentions Shimi, the son of Gerah, who cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Machanaim, in other words, when he fled from Avshalom. And I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. David concludes with a warning to Shlomo not to hold Shimi guiltless. After David's death, his eldest son, Adoniyahu, who in the first chapter deigned to rule before Shlomo was anointed, asked to marry Avishag the Shunamit, who had previously been brought to warm David, although the text does say they didn't have relations with one another. Adoniyahu asks Batsheva to ask King Shlomo, which she duly does. This leads Shlomo to declare, to declare Adoniyahu should die and he subsequently sends his chief of staff, Benayahu, to kill him. With Adoniyahu's death, the king then focuses on the other major players who were in Adoniyahu's circle. The first is Evyatar the priest. Shlomo says that he's a Ben Mavet, deserving of death. But because of his relationship with David, Shlomo will have pity on him and banish him to Anatot. When Yov hears what has happened, he fears for his own life. He goes into the Ohel Hashem and grasps onto the altar, but following an express order from the king, Yoav is killed by Benayahu. Completely unbefitting a former chief of staff to David, we read in verse 34 that he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. Shlomo then makes Shimi ben Gerar vow not to leave Jerusalem or he'll be put to death. But one day, three years later, two of Shimi's servants flee to Achish, son of Makkah, king of Gat. Shimi goes to Gat to bring them back, but is subsequently brought to Shlomo and for leaving Jerusalem is killed. A close reading of the text doesn't show whether Shlomo simply takes advantage of a mishap in order to be rid of Shimi 
or whether the servants fleeing was actually an excuse by Shimi to meet with the rival king and that he was plotting to rebel against Shlomo. Either way, it's ironic that the person who David didn't want Avishai ben Suriya to kill because Bnei Suriya, the sons of Suriya, were too kashim, were too hard or aggressive for him, has been killed by David's son, Shlomo. Just a couple of short thoughts on the chapter. First, Adoniyahu and his request to marry Avishag. Why is this considered such a red line to Shlomo? We've seen in previous chapters how sleeping with a king's concubine is considered to represent kingship. Avner ben Ner is accused by Ishboshet, Shaul's son, of seeking to replace him after Avner is rumoured to be having a relationship with Shaul's concubine. And Achitophel's advice to Avshalom about having relationships with all of David's concubines was also based on this. So having seemingly given up his claim to rule, the fact that Adoniyahu asks to marry Avishag sets alarm bells ringing for Shlomo. It's also interesting to note that Bathsheba must be well aware of this and frames the request to Shlomo in a very shrewd way. Reading Bathsheba's interactions with her husband David in chapter 1 and son Shlomo in chapter 2 show a very sophisticated player in the Game of Thrones. Second is Yoav. It's interesting David chooses to single out two specific incidents in which Yoav killed rival commanders as a reason for him not to be allowed to die peacefully. It's true that Yoav ruthlessly killed Avner and Amasa, although it's also worth pointing out that both of them had once opposed and fought against David, even if they later wanted to come into his camp. But as David is giving Shlomo a type of history lesson, one may have thought it fair to also mention all the other things Yoav did winning numerous battles for him and helping him to expand his kingdom, protecting David against Avshalom who wanted to dethrone him, giving David advice when he needed it, even if he didn't realise he needed it at the time. It's not even such a stretch to say that had Yoav not been loyal and obeyed David's orders to facilitate the death of Uriah, Shlomo may not ever have been born. And in this context, I continue to think it's fascinating that the only person in the kingdom who knows the entire details surrounding Uriah's death is Yoav. Might leaving such a powerful and influential, as well as opinionated and ruthless, older figure around overshadow Shlomo's ability to rule? Very possibly. Having touched on Yoav's loyalty and having followed David for his entire journey, it's then a fascinating question as to why Yoav is involved in supporting Adoniyahu as David's successor. This question becomes even more interesting when one looks at who else is involved in this group. The other main supporter is Evyatar the priest. Some may remember that Evyatar the priest is the last remaining member of the community of Nov that was wiped out by Doeg the Edomite on King Shaul's orders. He's also been with David this entire time, loyal to the last. He was committed to David even when David fled from Jerusalem during Avshalom's rebellion. His son Yonatan helped spread the word to David that Hushai the Archite has given Avshalom bad advice. So why are Yav and Eviatah seemingly turning on David? I'd like to argue 
and I think this is supported by the text, that they don't think they're rebelling at all. In chapter 1, verse 43, when Jonathan hears the news of Shlomo being anointed, he comes to the group of Adoniahu and says, Vayan Yonatan vayomar la Adoniahu, aval Adonenu hamelech David himlichet Shlomo. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. In other words, they all see themselves as loyal servants of David. And following Jonathan's monologue, we read in verse 49 of chapter 1, and all the guests of Adoniahu were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. They don't fight, they just go home. Now they understand what King David, the ruler they serve, wants. Yesterday, Rav Alex touched on different potential reasons as to why Yoav may support Adoniahu. For me, more than Yoav supported David, he supported the concept of Malchut, and when David doesn't abide by what he considers the concept of Malchut, he criticizes David. And perhaps Yoav saw an old king increasingly unable to function, who's not announced an heir, which is actually pretty inexplicable following Avshalom's rebellion. And he feels that the Jewish people need a king, or at least a Nagid. Unfortunately for him, the aged king chose differently. And when you don't win, you die. There's no middle ground.